Isaiah chapter number 32, and working verse by verse through that book. While there, while you're finding your way there, I just want to say how thankful I am to those of you that are faithful to church on a Wednesday evening. It is not popular in our culture to go to church even once. It is not popular in our culture to go to church twice, much less three times in a week. And many of you are here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And that shows how devoted you are. Don't ever let anyone make you feel like you're some kind of a religious nut for coming to church three times a week. Uh, Listen, uh, there are people who watch sports seven days a week. There are people that spend tens of thousands of dollars on boating, and uh, that's they obsess over cars and going to car shows, and uh, all of those things will come to an end one day and just won't matter. Uh, what kind of car you owned in your 30s when you're in your 80s, no one's going to care about, and even if they do, they're not going to care when you're 180, right? And uh, unless it's a Cadillac, someone said, um, and no, uh, no one's going to care. And um, uh, how many Super Bowls your team won in 100 years, that's just really not going to matter. It's really not going to matter. But the spiritual difference we make in, in the world around us will always matter. That's an eternal difference. And so you have chosen the right thing by being here on a Wednesday night. And I want to commend you for that and thank you for that. Before we read Isaiah 32, this will uh, just be, uh, if you're at home, these verses won't be on the live stream. But I'd like everyone to turn back just a couple of chapters to Isaiah 28. And um, I want to sort of show you our Sunday evening and Wednesday evening philosophy here at White Oak Baptist Church. It's found right out of Isaiah 28. Look at verse number 10. And um, it says, For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will uh, he speak to his people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and taken. What is the philosophy here at White Oak Baptist Church? It's that we take the Bible precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And the Bible teaches that all Scripture is profitable, all Scripture is profitable. Does that include the genealogies of such and such begat such and such? Yes, it even includes the the the, the genealogies that you skip in your in your yearly Bible reading. Okay, it even includes those. Um, you say, well, is there anything there profitable for me? If you dig deep enough and long enough, yep, there's something there as well. And so our goal here at White Oak Baptist Church is to go from cover to cover, and at some point preach every single verse in the Bible because we believe all of it is applicable and all of it is profitable. And so we're working through the book of Isaiah. Now, I have been challenged in preparing Bible studies and messages out of Isaiah because it isn't the easiest book in the Bible to understand. You've got to work a little bit. You know what I've learned something? The harder you work at something, the more you appreciate it. 
How many of you have ever experienced that? The harder you work at something, the more you appreciate it. I got my daughter a dollhouse uh, for her seventh uh, Christmas celebration. She was seven years old. She turned seven years old. I got one of these four-foot-tall dollhouses, and I made the rookie mistake of putting it together Christmas Eve after she went to bed. And I had, you know, a couple of hundred pieces. You say a rookie mistake? Yeah, I didn't go to bed till like four in the morning, okay? And if I had been smart, I'd have put it together two weeks ago and hit it somewhere. But um, I didn't do that. And uh, I put it together at the last minute. You know what? I worked really hard on that, and I had my frustrations with it. But when she pulled the blanket off the next morning and saw that thing, the joy on her face, it was worth it. It was worth every frustrating moment I had with it. And when you work hard to understand the Bible... You work hard to really study it and understand it. And uh, you don't just, you know, glaze over the, the passage and, until you get done. And, and then it's, uh, uh, well, on to the next thing. How many of you have ever been there where you're eight verses, ten verses into your Bible reading and you realize, I don't have any idea what I just read? You know what I'm talking about? You've thought about, you know, what you got on the schedule that day and what such and such said and how you looked when you, you know, when you made a fool of yourself yesterday. And Whoa, I'm, my, my, word, my eyes have gone over the words, but I haven't picked. And then you've got to back up and start over. And, and listen, uh, when we really take the time to dive deep and understand what God is trying to convey to us, we can get a whole lot more uh, from God's Word and Listen, we're going to do our best tonight to try to uncover and unpack Isaiah 32 the best we can and make it applicable. Uh, It already is applicable, but see how it's applicable for our lives. So let's stand, if we can, for the reading of God's Word, if you're so able. Isaiah 32 in your Bibles. And look with me at verse 15, and we're going to read from 15 down through 17 to start. And uh, we'll be looking at the chapter as a whole this evening. The Bible says, "...until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high..." And the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. Look at 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. In the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Boy, that's the goal, isn't it? Peace, quietness, assurance forever. And so um, we're looking at this title, What Revival Looks Like. What Revival Looks Like. What do you think of when you hear the word revival? What do you think of? Maybe you think of someone who is, um, uh, you know, uh, needing to be resuscitated. An ambulance shows up and they pull out the defibrillator and they stick the pads on the chest and they revive the person. They bring them back to life. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of revival. Uh, if you've been in church a long time, maybe you think of Billy Sunday and Charles Spurgeon and D.L. Moody and preachers of yesteryear that would stand up and preach and Billy Graham and thousands of people coming and, and, and people getting their hearts right with the Lord and, 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 and bars shutting down and, and, and people getting themselves straight. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of revival. Oftentimes we think of some sensational idea, but I, I propose that uh, revival can begin tonight in your heart. Even if there isn't this sensationalism around it, you can begin to experience revival. Isaiah 32 lays out that formula. We're going to look at that this evening. Let's pray and I'll let you sit down. Lord, thank you tonight for 
the opportunity to gather here. May you help Isaiah 35, Lord, come to life for us. Spirit of God, uh, I'm going to partner with you over the next few minutes, and I'm going to preach to the ears, but Lord, you, Spirit of God, you must minister to the hearts, and so help me to stay in my lane so you can do your duty and your work. And we do ask that you would help each ear to be anointed and each heart to be tender for the Word of God. May it break hearts. Lord, may it uh, uh, convict, may it encourage, may it comfort where needed. And Lord, meet with us this evening and help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we began this three weeks ago. Uh, Let's see, last week my brother James, missionary to Honduras, was with us and did a great job preaching about going and getting your wood out of the book of Haggai and brought a very practical sermon. It was great to see my brother. I don't get to see him very often. He lives in Honduras and and our church supports him and it was good to get an update from him and his ministry, see his wife and his my, my nieces and have them here. But the, the week prior to that, I guess that had been two weeks ago, we uh, began Isaiah 32. And this idea of what revival looks like. Uh, several of you were not here. and So I'm going to quickly recap what we've covered and then we'll get into point three, which is new material. If you received a prayer bulletin on your way in, you'll see the outline there on the back. I encourage you to follow along there as well. We looked at, number one, we looked at the reign of Christ. The reign of Christ out of the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 32. And so let's let's review, let's take a few minutes and let's review what we looked at there. All right, we said letter A, uh, in the reign of Christ, we see a shelter provided, a shelter provided. Look back at verse 1 and 2 of Isaiah 32 with me. It says, Behold, a king, speaking of King Jesus, the millennial reign, a king shall reign in righteousness and Princes shall rule in judgment, and a man shall be as an hiding place from the wind, and a covert or a cover from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Listen, we live in a day and age where uh, the world will flat out beat you down if you're trying to live for the Lord. Ephesians 6 talks about strapping up and putting on our spiritual armor, and you're carrying the shield of faith, and wearing the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel shoes of peace and your loins girded about with truth and you'll wield uh, the the, the, uh, sword of the Spirit. Why do we have to put on our armor? Because, listen, Ephesians 6 continues by saying that we're wrestling against principalities of the air. We're, We're in a battle of spiritual darkness and here we are at war with evil. But, my friend, there's coming a day when King Jesus sits on the throne where we won't have to wield the sword of the Spirit. We won't have to carry the shield of faith because King Jesus will be our cover. King Jesus will be our protection. And, and, and there's coming a day where King Jesus rules and reigns and a shelter will be provided. A letter B, we said out of, about the reign of Christ, we said out of verses 3 and 4, we saw His servants protected. Look back with me at Isaiah 32 and look at verse 3. The Bible says, "...in the eyes of them..." that see shall not be dim, and the ears of them that hear shall hearken. Look at verse 4. The heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerers shall be ready to speak plainly. Those who are born anew in Christ, those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, listen, you may see with physical eyes when Jesus is king, you'll not only see with physical eyes, you'll see with spiritual eyes. 
uh, you won't only hear with physical ears, you'll discern with spiritual discernment within those ears. Those that speak and stammer when they speak. Uh, sometimes I feel that way up here. I stammer when I speak and I'm searching for words. And what's really funny is when I pastored a Spanish church for four years, I was learning Spanish and getting that down. And all, I, lo and behold, I'd be preaching in Spanish and an English word would slip out because I didn't know the Spanish word. And then I'd be preaching in English and I, at the moment I couldn't remember the English word and the Spanish word would stumble out. And, and uh, the stammering tongue. Uh, some of of you, if I asked you to preach next week or asked one of you ladies to teach a ladies class next week and you got up, you'd be scared out of your mind and you'd be stammering the whole time that you were up there. One day when King Jesus reigns, the common servant of his, the common follower of his will stand up and there will be no stammering. We'll speak clear. We'll articulate well the truths of who King Jesus is and what he's done for me and you. Have you ever found it difficult to tell someone how much you love Jesus? Have you ever found it challenging and intimidating to share? When King Jesus reigns supreme, listen, it will be popular to love Jesus. It won't be uh, the cultural, it, it will become the cultural norm. It won't be the abnormality. It will become the cultural norm. Those who love Jesus will speak clearly. Uh, they'll, they'll proclaim it loudly. Uh, they'll, they'll stand up next to Jesus with uh, great confidence and great courage of soul, we see that his servants provided out of three and four. But notice in verses five through eight, we see the scoundrels punished, the scoundrels punished. Look at verse five here with me. When King Jesus reigns supreme, those who love Jesus will, will rule and reign as priests and kings. But those who are antithetical to the Lord, those who are in opposition to the Lord, boy, they will be punished. Look at verse five. The vile person shall be no more called liberal nor the churl said to be bountiful. Now, if you carry a King James Bible, your Bible says churl. Now, that's not a word we use in everyday English, right? And we talked about this two weeks ago, churl, churl. What does that word churl mean? Well, uh, it literally translates, or our modern English term is the word scoundrel or swindler. Swindler. This is someone who is manipulating people very carefully out of their money, right? This is a fast talker. This is a, hey, I'm going to talk you into a shark-type loan, take all your money, leech you dry. I'm going to be a scoundrel. I'm going to be a swindler, okay? So what does the Bible say about the vile person and uh, the Churl or the swindle. Look at verse 6. For the vile person will speak villainy, and his heart will work iniquity, to practice hypocrisy, and to utter error against the Lord, to make empty the soul of the hungry, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. What's 5 and 6 tell us? Well, it talks about how their, their integrity is empty. Their integrity is empty. Look, the, the truth is today... Right is called wrong. You listen tonight, listen tonight. Right is called wrong and wrong is called right. There are people who do wrong and they're celebrated. Have we seen that? Have we experienced that? Uh, it's, it's, if you can get over on someone and take their money, hey, you're clever. Hey, you're smart. Hey, you're great. When King Jesus reigns supreme, listen, that will be looked down upon. That will be frowned upon. Uh, those who are vile will be nailed as vile. 
Now, they won't be celebrated. We live in a day and time where immorality is celebrated as though you're great because you're living your truth. And no, the, there isn't your truth and my truth. Listen, truth is not abstract. Truth is absolute. Truth may hurt your feelings, but truth is truth. And by the way, John 14 says that Jesus is the truth. If you're living in a lifestyle that's opposite to Christ, and you're not living in the truth. You're living in error. You're living vile. And when King Jesus reigns supreme, those who are vile will be labeled as vile. Those who are swindlers or churls will be labeled as such. And so we see their empty integrity, but we also see their evil instruments. Look at 7 and 8. The Bible says the instruments also of the churl are evil. He deviseth wicked devices to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaketh right. But the liberal deviseth liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. Now, we have a church here at White Oak Baptist that is um, politically diverse, politically diverse. And those who are conservative in their political views hear the word liberal and they think negative thoughts. Did you know that in the Bible, the word liberal is a good thing? It's a good thing. Someone who is liberal is someone who is quick to take of their own and give to others. Give to others. Now, um, I'm all for taking what you have and giving to others in need. I am personally not for the government making me give what I have to those in need. It ought to be my choice and not Uncle Sam's choice. Amen? Amen. All right, so I'm for a liberal heart who is generous in their giving. We collect offerings here three times a week. And Pastor Lejeune is appreciative to those of you that give liberally in the offering plate so that the need of the of the church can move forward and uh, gospel tracts can be printed and the lights can be kept on and the water bill paid and uh, the insurance paid and the missionaries have their money sent. I'm thankful to all of you in here who open up your wallet and give liberally, but the problem is when you have a swindler who's called a liberal. No, when you're a swindler taking people's money, you're not generous. And these people sit around and devise up instruments to take advantage of people. One day, the scoundrel under King Jesus is going to be punished. You know what's beautiful about Jesus? You listen tonight. You know what's beautiful about the Lord? He knows not only what you do. He knows why you do it. He knows the very thoughts that you think before you do it. And when Jesus sits on the throne, he will be judge, jury, an executioner. There won't be any wars on planet Earth when Jesus rules and reigns supreme. Warheads will be beaten down into plowshares. We'll see later in the book of Isaiah. Why? Because there won't be any more need for war. Can you imagine being a little boy and pulling up some ancient book from the 2020s and here it is, 3,000 something, and you pick up a book and you read about warheads and, and, and you go to your mom and say, what is an F-22 fighter? What is an atomic bomb? And your mom says, I don't have any idea what that is. I've never even heard of a bomb. I there won't be any war under King Jesus because before that can even get off the ground and, and friction can be a real thing, the Lord Jesus Christ will step in and stop it right there. Vile will be called vile. Swindlers will be called swindlers. Those who are righteous will be celebrated. Those who are evil and vile 
will be punished. We see the reign of Christ. Number two, we see the rebuke of the women. The rebuke of the women. And I said last week, uh, that, um, or two weeks ago rather, uh, that uh, there are times where I lay it on thick when I'm preaching to the men. And I, I nail the men for where they come short. But listen, we're preaching verse by verse through the Bible. And so don't take it out on me. I'm not the one preaching at the women Isaiah and the Lord are preaching at the women here. So look at me at verse 9. Verse 9 through verse 14, we see the rebuke of the women. All right, uh, We see in verses 9 and 10, we see their careless attitude. Look at verse 9. The Bible says, Rise up, ye women that are at ease. Hear my voice, ye careless daughters. Give ear unto my speech. Many days and years shall ye be troubled, ye careless women, for the vintage shall... Fail the gathering or the gathering of the grapes, the gathering of the vine shall not come. He says, "Listen, you all have a careless attitude. Uh, you all, uh, you, you just kind of uh, uh, prance around and wander around, and life is easy. And you just go out to the vine and you you collect your grapes and you collect uh, uh, whatever it is you want to eat, and, and life is easy for you. You have a careless attitude, and you're not only." Careless in your gathering of, of goods, you're, you're careless in your attitude toward God. Your attitude toward God. And one day, it's not going to be so easy for you. We see their careless attitude. Letter B, we see their command to lament. Now look at verse number 11, and here's where we begin to get into the idea of revival. Look at verse 11. Tremble, ye women that are at ease. Be troubled, Ye careless ones, strip you and make you bare, and gird sackcloth upon your loins. They shall lament for the, uh, the teats or the breast, for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. Now, verse 11, he's saying, take off those fancy designer clothes that you wear and put on sackcloth. Heap ash upon your head. He's saying you need to trade your fancy expensive clothes. Or some prayer clothes. You need to go from looking trendy in the world around you to mourning over the sin that's in your heart and the sin of your culture. And if you don't, one day you're going to be so physically malnourished that you will weep. He's saying, look, while you have it good, while things are easy, before the punishing hand of God falls, fall on your knees and confess your sin and get it right. I would encourage you to write this down somewhere in your notes, okay? And this is a common phrase, but man, one we need to be reminded of. Be humble or be humiliated. Be humble or be humiliated. Now, the Bible says that God lifts up those who are humble and he puts down those who are proud. How many of you have experienced the cycle, right? God humiliates you, and oh man, you get it right. You pour out your heart before God, and you confess, and I'm sorry. And he's humiliated you, so now you're humble. And then God sees a humble servant, and then he begins to elevate you. And then you look around and say, look at me. Boy, I'm great. Boy, did you hear that, that, that life group lesson I taught? Did you hear the truth that I imparted on behalf of the Lord? Man, I man, I waxed eloquent. Man, I did good. Did you see all of the did you see the thick stack of Easter door hangers I put out? I bet no one put out 
as many Easter door hangers as I did. And if they did, they didn't look as good as me doing it. And God looks at you puffed up in your pride and He says, "Mm -hmm. I'm going to humiliate you again. And around the wheel we go. You know what is great? Is when you can humble yourself and God elevates you and you stay humble. Isn't that the goal? That's a whole lot harder to do than it is to say, isn't it? But that's the goal. And God says here to these ladies, He says, while you have it good, take the time to confess your sin and get it right. I look around at our country and we are living off the successes of previous generations who feared God. You understand that? The fruit on the vine, the success, and I'm meaning that allegorically, metaphorically. The fruit on the vine of success uh, economically that we enjoy as a country is because there were people a couple of generations ago who went to church and feared God. And God looked down on a God-fearing people and He blessed them. And we are enjoying the abundance of it. But there is coming a day when the sin that we have reaped will be sowed. And if we don't get down on our knees as a country right now and repent, boy, we're going to one day wish we had. We're going to wish we had. I am so tired of Christians who point fingers at everyone but themselves. They are obsessed with the news and what's wrong with this president or that president or this politician or that politician. Let Let me just say this. What is wrong in this country is not what takes place at the White House. It's what takes place here at the church house. And it's what takes place in your house and in my house. When we can fix us, then God will fix this country. It's not Joe Biden's fault. It wasn't Donald Trump's fault. Barack Obama, George Bush, uh, Bill Clinton, on back we can go. Listen, God does not take the temperature, spiritual temperature of a country uh, at the White House. He takes it at the church house. And many Christians are just kind of yawning through life, wandering through life, stumbling through life, and they're not spiritually concerned with how their sin is an offense to God. And the Bible says it's time to lament. It's time to lament. Their command to lament. We see, letter C, their coming destruction. Their coming destruction. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, Upon the land of my people shall come up thorns and briars, yea, upon all the houses of joy in the joyous cities, because the palaces shall be forsaken, the multitudes of the cities shall be left, the forts and towers shall be for dens forever. A joy or a pack of wild asses, a pasture of flocks. What's he saying here? He's saying that where you have palaces and kings and power and and culture that reigns supreme, there's coming a day where those palaces are going to be vacated and thorns and thistles will grow up between the mortar of the brick and 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 and, and cobwebs will fill each building and. And, and and where you had where you had um, uh, uh, plowed fields of uh, of fruit and vegetables that's going to be overgrown with thickets and thorns and what you had in in plentitude will lay in utter destruction and we know this prophecy has come to pass we looked at Lamentations four uh, last week and we saw how that Jeremiah showed. Isaiah's prophecy to have come to pass. Jeremiah was carried away into the Babylonian captivity and then permitted by Nebuchadnezzar to go home to Jerusalem. 
And when he arrived at Jerusalem, he saw children wandering the street with soot and ash on their face, scrambling in the garbage for food and couldn't find it. Moms who were holding a baby in their arms and trying to give their babies suck, but the parent moms were so malnourished there was no milk for their child and the tongue of the baby, the infant, claved to the roof of its mouth because it was starving to death. And, and what had happened was that when the Israelites had it good, they rejected God. And because they didn't turn and repent, Isaiah said there's a coming destruction. And lo and behold, that destruction came. Now I want to say this before we move on to number three. I have told God this many times. God, you are welcome to send any trial into my life. No matter how big it is, you're welcome to send any trial into my life that you want. But I don't ever want you to have to send a trial into my life because you don't have my attention. I don't ever want you to have to bring a hardship in my life because I'm ignoring you. And I'm not giving you the time and attention I ought to because I'm living in disobedience to you. I don't ever want God to have to reach down out of heaven and chastise me to get my attention. Church, how does God generally get our attention when we're out of line? He touches a couple of things. He touches our relationships. I don't want God to have to touch any relationships that are precious to me that I cherish. I don't want him to have to touch the health of someone I love, like a child or a spouse or a parent, to get my attention. God will touch a, a, a God will touch a a relationship, right? Sometimes he'll touch our money. Can I tell you that no matter how much money you have, God can take it away from you just like that, just like that. If you don't believe me, check out the Book of Job. Richest man in the West, poor in minutes. It's all gone. And you know what? Divine things happen to make that wealth go away. I don't want God to have to do that to get my attention. Now, God very well may send a trial my way, but I don't want it to be because I'm living in sin and I'm ignoring God. Sometimes God doesn't just touch relationships or wealth. Sometimes He touches our own health. I don't want to end up... I've been very healthy. I'm 38 years old and... I can count on one hand how many nights I've spent in the hospital in my life. And uh, none of them were life-threatening, praise the Lord. Could have become that, but got to the hospital soon enough to keep it from that. Um, one hand, how many, time, how many nights I've spent in, in a hospital bed. And I praise the Lord for that. But I don't want God to have to put me flat on my back in a hospital bed for months at a time because he's got to get my attention. You understand that if the Israelites had come to God before Babylon came, if the Israelites in their prosperity had humbled their heart and turned to Him, Babylon would have never come. God sent the Babylonians to carry them away in captivity because in their success, they turned their back on God. Now, revival. Verses 15 through the end of the chapter lay out for us revival. But I want everyone to hear me loud and clear. You cannot experience revival until you repent from your sin and get your heart in line with God. You cannot experience revival. Revival is first 
a feeling of remorse over sin. That's where revival begins. When I get honest with myself and God over my sin, and I begin to get things right with God, that's where revival begins. And if you're not willing to get down and serious with God over your sin, then listen, you can give a, a token speech about revival. You can talk about it in your life group. You can, you can talk about it with your Christian buddies. You can pray for it. But if you're not willing to get down in the weeds and really do business with God over your own personal private sin that only you and God know about, don't tell me you have an interest in revival. See, revival comes with a feeling of remorse over my sin. And that's exactly what Isaiah is saying to the women. Here in Isaiah uh, chapter number 32, he's saying, Repent, be remorseful, turn from your sin, get rid of the careless, callous heart that you have, and get things right with God inside your hearts. We see the reign of Christ, the rebuke of the women. Lastly, number three, let's look at the revival of God's kingdom. The revival of God's kingdom. Look at verse uh, number 15 with me. Isaiah 32, look at verse 15. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. Turn over to Psalm chapter 85, verse 6. Get those fingers ready, and let's turn to some verses. We're going to finish up the message tonight um, looking at some Bible verses and giving just a few thoughts. Look at Isaiah 85, and look at... I'm sorry, Psalm 85. Thank you, Mercedes. Psalm 85, and look at verse number 6. There's that stammering tongue. Amen? I won't do that when I'm in the kingdom of heaven, Brother Lexan. Psalm 85, look at verse 6. It says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? That's exactly what happens when we have revival, is we just can't help but praise God. We can't help but rejoice in how good God is all the time. So, uh, how do we experience revival? Well, Psalm 80, or rather, um, Isaiah 32 lays out for us three metaphors, three metaphors about revival. Letter A, notice, uh, God's Spirit provides water for those who are weary. Water for those who are weary. Look at verse 15 back in Isaiah 32. Again, notice here, until the Spirit be Poured upon us, poured upon us from on high. The Spirit, Spirit of God, be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field. We'll look at that part in the verse in just a moment. Let's focus in on that Spirit be poured upon us. Now, the Holy Spirit of God in the Bible uh, is compared to a handful of things throughout uh, the Scripture. One of them is water that's poured on a thirsty soul. Turn over just a handful of pages to the right to Isaiah chapter 44 and look with me at verses 3 and 4. Isaiah 44 and look with me at verses 3 and 4. And we'll get these verses in context in a few weeks when we get to this chapter. But look here. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing Upon thine offspring, and they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. And 
Uh, listen, when we become thirsty enough for God and we become thirsty enough for righteousness and we become thirsty enough to live in line with what God's, God wants, then and only then is our spirit quenched, that thirst quenched. Um, my mom would always tell me growing up, you need to drink a lot of water. How many of you had mom that told you that? You need to drink a lot of water. Now, I liked Dr. Pepper. Okay, when I was a kid. Now I like coffee. And I'm told that coffee dehydrates you. And I don't understand that because coffee is 99% water, right? How, right, Esmeralda? I mean, right, sister? Coffee is water just with a little bit of, anyway, uh, Esmeralda likes coffee like I do. Uh, but uh, I love coffee. I'll drink three, four cups a day, and that's me limiting myself. If I just did what I wanted, I have seven, eight, nine cups a day. I love coffee. But I was a boy, it was, uh, it, it was uh, Dr. Pepper and Mountain Dew. And, and, and listen, uh, now that I'm married, my wife tells me, you need to drink more water. But can I tell you when I drink water, I really drink water when my, my mouth becomes parched and my lips become dry and, and, and my mouth uh, desires that water. Imagine someone crawling across a desert, canteen empty, completely out of water. Their, their tongue begins to swell in their mouth. Their lips begin to turn black. Uh, they're, they're, parched, they're, they're thirsty and they come up on a place where there's fresh flowing drinking water and they just can't get enough. And my friend, when you've experienced life in sin enough, and I, listen, uh, you can be thirsty and someone can hand you a Coca-Cola and you know what you're left with when you get done drinking that Coca-Cola? You're left with thirst. You're left thirsty. And you can drink sin, you can drink that down, but there's something the Spirit of God does for you. When you drink in uh, uh, the Word of God, and the Bible tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. When you drink in the Word of God, that spiritual thirst is quenched, and the Spirit of God comes in and fills you, and guess what? You begin to experience revival because God's Word is washing you clean with the water of the Word. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait until I'm a broken vessel before I turn to the Lord. I don't want to wait until I'm so dehydrated that I'm spiritually dying before I pick up the Word of God and drink it down. Boy, I want to repent for my sin, and I want the Spirit of God to begin to quench my thirst now. We see God's Spirit provides water for those who are weary. Let her be. Notice God's Spirit provides fruit for those who are faithful. Fruit for those who are faithful. Look back at 32. Look back at 15. We're going to look at the second half of 15 and then verse 16. The Bible says, And the wilderness be a fruitful field. And the fruitful field be counted for a forest. There's so many fruit trees, it becomes a forest. Verse 16, Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. The fruitful field. I want to be a Christian who is fruitful for the Lord. Do you want to be a Christian who is fruitful for the Lord? I want people to look at my life and say, that's a man who has fruit that remains, fruit that abounds. That's a man who is, it is beneficial to know him. Uh, To know him means to be blessed. I hope you want the same thing in your life where the Spirit of God is bearing fruit. Can I tell you the key to bearing fruit for the Lord? is longevity in the Lord. Turn over to Galatians 6, quickly. We're running out of time here. Turn over to Galatians 6, and and I really want to share a a neat spiritual truth with you that I think a lot of people 
they, they just barely miss out on. And uh, this is a verse that has encouraged my, my soul many times and I've wanted to give up and quit. Look at Galatians 6, verse 9. The Bible says, And let us not be weary in well-doing. Let me pause right there. Some of you are still finding it. I'll finish the verse in just a moment. If you're looking, keep looking. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing. How many of you here have been going along doing what was right and um, things just weren't meeting, your, it just wasn't going the way you thought it should. And you just get discouraged. You get weary in well-doing. How many at some point in your Christian life have experienced that, right? You, you get going through life and it gets cyclical and then it gets, it gets monotonous and Bible reading becomes stale. And, and it's not the Bible's fault, it's our fault, but it's stale and tired. And the prayer list begins to become habit and... And we're not really growing, and we've sort of plateaued. And, and, then, and then you have a $3,000 home repair you can't afford. And then your alternator goes out in your car. And then you get fired from your job. And you think, boy, I thought being a Christian was going to be, you know, fruitful. You're weary and well-doing. Right? Look at the rest of the verse. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, due season, we shall reap if we faint not. This June will be six years that I've been the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church. I stand, um, I stand up here. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and I look out over the crowd. And after six years of being the pastor here, almost six years of being the pastor here, I see faces. God is working in lives of people who have started coming over the last six years. I'm not the one that's changing them. The Spirit of God is changing them. I'm just in the face of what God's doing in their life. And can I tell you that, I'm going to be very generic here on purpose, but for the last five and a half years, five and a half plus years, there have been some dark days as the pastor. There have been some heavy, heavy burdens. I've never come close to quitting, but there have been times where I wish I could quit. I stand up here now, and I look out and I see how God is using the ministry, the pulpit ministry here and the counseling ministry in my office here. I see how God is using me. And you know what I say? I say, now I'm reaping because I didn't faint not. I didn't faint. I didn't give up. You know, the Christian life is not experienced in days, weeks, months, years. The Christian life is experienced in decades. When you've been faithful for decades serving the Lord... Boy, you begin to see the fruits of those efforts. The Spirit of God working through your faithfulness. And you begin to see fruit that abounds. Fruit that stays. I had the joy of taking Pastor Brown out to lunch. And Jim and Joanne uh, Owens went with us. And, you know, the Owenses have been here for 30 plus years. There's a handful of others that have been here 30 plus years. And you know what those folks are? They're fruit to Pastor Brown's faithfulness in the Lord. And when you... 
uh, are trying to live for God and serve God and do what's right, and, and, and a few weeks go by, a few months goes by, and, and, and the bills are piling up, and, and, and you're having all these problems, and you want to throw in the towel and quit, I would tell you that God's Spirit will provide fruit, but only if you can be faithful for the long haul. Don't give up. Stay in there. Stay in there. Stay in there. Week after week. Month after month. Year after year. Keep going to church. Keep loving your family. Keep teaching the Word of God. Keep living the Word of God. Keep doing what's right. Uh, Keep doing what you're supposed to do. And you know what? You keep doing right, and you'll turn around and look back over your shoulders after decades of doing it, and you'll see a lot of fruit that remains to your record. That fruit won't be there if you faint when it gets tough. We see... Water for those who are weary. We see fruit for those that are faithful. Letter C, we see the Spirit provides rest for those who are righteous. Rest for those who are righteous. Look at verse 17, and let's read down to the end of the chapter here. The Bible says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places when it shall hail coming down the forest and the city shall be low in a low place blessed are ye that sow beside all waters and that send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass we see that those who are righteous god provides rest matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 says Come unto me, all ye that are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, when we work for the Lord, we labor in righteousness. We're doing our best to deny ourselves and say no to sin. We're doing our best to live for God and, and put His uh, His will ahead of ours. And, and we're doing our best to st- be in right standing with God. And, and at the end of the day, we're wore out and we're tired from working for the Lord. We come and we can rest in the Lord. And oh, how sweet is that rest. You know, uh, those who toil in sin never find rest. Those who toil in righteousness find rest in the presence of God. Let's finish out tonight. Turn over to Hebrews chapter number 4 in your Bibles. Hebrews, if you turn to Galatians a few minutes ago, Hebrews is to the right of the book of Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Then you have Thessalonians and Timothy. And then the book of Titus, Philemon. And then you make your way to Hebrews. A bunch of those are short books. Hebrews is a little bit longer. Hebrews chapter number 4. I love the book of Hebrews, and we did a whole verse-by-verse through Hebrews a, a, a little over a year ago, and um, I love the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 talk about mental rest, mental rest, and uh, those who struggle with mental health, my encouragement is study Hebrews 3 and 4. Look at verses 9, 10, and 11. They're about, the Bible says in Hebrews 4, 9, 10, 11, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Speaking of the seventh day, in the creation account where God rested, look at verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Boy, there's so much more here than we have time to unpackage, but... I'll just say here to those who labor in righteousness, when we turn to the Lord, we find rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord.
When you read your Bible and you pray, God communicates with you and you communicate with the Lord and there is that rest for a weary soul. And I don't know about you, but uh, when life is coming at you fast and coming at you hard and you feel afraid, having that place you can run and say, God, I did my best to be righteous and I didn't get it all right and sometimes I blew it, but Lord, here's what I did wrong. Here's what I tried to do right. Lord, help me. And God comes and provides rest for that weary soul. And when we find that rest then that keeps us from falling into unbelief. And so the Spirit of God brings that revival. What does revival look like? Well, it's water for those who are weary, it's fruit for those who are faithful, and it's rest for those who are living righteous. And my prayer tonight is that you'll turn from sin, you'll deal with sin privately, you'll, you'll have that sentiment of sorrow over wrongdoing, and then you'll see God's Spirit come along and provide water, fruit, and rest for you. Let's stand together tonight, and we'll be sent forth to serve our Lord. We'll be sent forth uh, by a word of prayer. And I'm so thankful that all of you are here. Several folks back here, first time Easter Sunday, back tonight. Thrilled you made it out with us this evening. And if I haven't chatted with you yet, hope I can do that with you before you go tonight. Let's pray, and we'll go. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we can study it. We can understand it, and then, Lord, we can be challenged to go forth and live it. Lord, the rest of this week, help us to do our best to put our hand to the plow, and, Lord, to do what's right, serving you, working for you. Lord, help us not to rely on our own intellect, our own uh, experiences, but, Lord, help us to lean on your Spirit to guide us into all truth. Help us to live for you, to walk with you. Thank you, God, for tonight. Thank you for the crowd that's come. Bless them for being here. Lord, help us to go forth and be a shining light in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you. You're dismissed.